to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 37. And the last time the message was titled Deeper Discussions. And it's really neat because, you know, sometimes in cultural Christianity and sometimes in these big flashy ministries, there's just no depth. You don't get down into the real teachings of Christ. Um, I've heard people, they've been involved five, ten years in some of these ministries and they come to a Bible-believing church and like, wow, I didn't even know that that was in there. So in deeper discussions, and you can understand when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and the culture is telling us to worship ourselves, well, there's always going to be a conflict. And sometimes some of these ministries that are all about numbers and all about money um, don't want to do anything that might offend somebody. So when you get into the deeper discussions, you also see why Jesus is God, how to prove that he's God. It's very easy to do. Uh, if you're on the fence about that, definitely get into the Scripture. You'd see it all throughout the Bible, the deity of Christ. And today, the message is titled, Getting Closer. Now, it sort of is a sort of a bifurcation. It sort of has two heads to it in that um, getting closer, we're in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ where he has to go to the cross. He knows he's got to go to Jerusalem. Um, but there's this kind of strange thing that's happening where you know, he's got to go to be crucified and he, he lets on to his disciples a little bit at a time, but there's amazing things happening. He's feeding thousands of people, raising the dead, healing the sick. So there's sort of this, this duality that's taking place at the same time. Ironically though, as he gets closer to Jerusalem, we're also getting closer to God. And what I mean by that is that Jesus died for our sins. We know that, right? He paid for the penalty for our sins on the cross. So as he gets closer to Jerusalem, the human race actually can get closer to God. Interesting. And we're going to look at this in three parts, and I'll go more into it. So jumping into Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 37. Now it happened on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit, a demon, seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and bruising him, it departs from him with great difficulty. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. I find humor in that. Right? Telling the teacher that his students (laughs) weren't able to do it. He put that in there. Then Jesus answered and said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. So one out of three is another demon cast out must have been very interesting. It must have been sort of sensory overload walking with Jesus those years. You just don't know what today's going to bring. You get up in the morning and, you know, there's this wild confrontation between Jesus and removing this demon who's been harassing somebody or oppressing them for years. Um, they end up in a deserted place. The crowds follow him. 
sun's starting to go down. There's no market to buy food. Jesus does a miracle and multiplies the food. So it must have been, again, like sensory overload. However, Jesus is going to sort of pair the highs and the lows together, and we're going to look at that. Um, but it's, it's fascinating. Remember, when we were just covering the uh, Gospel of Luke last Sunday, what we do know is that there was the transfiguration. There were three disciples, James, John, and Peter, who went with Jesus up the, mount, the mountain, and Jesus' deity now starts to show through his, his tissues, his muscle, his bones, his skin, etc. Um, and we went through that in detail. If you didn't get it, you can get it for free uh, online. So the way I'm reading this is Jesus is up on the mountain with the three. The other nine are down at the bottom. And this guy must have showed up to the other disciples and said, Oh, you're followers of Jesus. Look at my son. Can you help me out? And they can't, they can't do this. They can't figure it out, how to cast out this demon. Although we talked a few weeks ago, right? You've got to put it all together because it does go together. Where Jesus speaks about demon oppression, how to cast it out, that his followers did have the ability to do it. Actually, the Q&A, two Q&As ago, a lot of people had questions about demons. And, you know, it's sort of a mysterious portion of the scripture, but it's also very detailed. Um, but the disciples, nonetheless, were unsteady and unable. So there's sort of the opening to what we're going to look at today. Verse 38, the father says to Jesus, this dad says to Jesus, look on my son. Now, I don't want to read too much into this. Was he just basically had so much trust and belief in Jesus that if Jesus just looked at his son, it would happen like that? I'm not sure. Is it a figure of speech? I don't know. But I will say that the dad starts with a small measure of faith. Faith. Enough to know that Jesus could deliver. But as we'll see, as we go on and we look at the other Gospels, his faith wasn't perfect or colossal in any way. You know, today people say, well, I don't have that much faith. They make assumptions. Sometimes as, to us as Christian or us in clergy, um, they say, well, I don't have that much faith. And I always express to them that Jesus said to his followers, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, which is about a millimeter in diameter, he said you could move mountains. So how do you measure that? How do you measure something that can't be seen? It's a very interesting discussion. However, I say to people, it doesn't happen overnight. When I first came to Christ, I, I knew enough to believe that he died for my sins, but my faith was maybe a quarter the size of a mustard seed or a tenth. I didn't have much faith at all. But over time, it starts to grow as your, as your walk with the Lord grows. So it's an interesting thing, right? We sometimes look in American culture, even in American Christianity, and we think everything has to be big. But that's not the case. It's a lie. It's not true. You know, Jesus did his best work working with people one-on-one. -on -one. When we pray to God, God loves to hear our prayers. He can hear us one-on-one, -on -one, even though he can deal with the affairs of the world at the same time. Verse 41 Jesus responds, I believe, to both the culture and the disciples that they were lacking faith. Jesus implies to me that they had the ability, because how can you say, oh, faithless and perverse generation? You know, you should be able to do this, but you have such little faith. So my understanding is, especially with his followers, they had the ability, but they didn't fully believe it or they didn't exercise it, right? I, I think of sometimes... Um, you know, when you take an animal from the wild and you see this, they could be, a, I'm not doing it. <laughs> People raise like tigers and alligators and, you know, they, they have these incredibly elephants, powerful 
animals as pets and they raise them in a way that they become sort of part of the family. But that animal doesn't realize the potential and the strength that it has. You know, I have, uh, I have two rescue tough dogs and a cat in the house and the cat bosses them around. I mean, literally, my dog's one gulp and the cat's gone, but they don't realize their potential, thankfully. <laughs> you know, we don't want to come home to see something like that. But, you know, we as believers, we have to see what the Lord sees in us. And the Lord Jesus, although I would say it was a mild rebuke, the Lord saw something in His disciples that they didn't see. And folks, God sees stuff in us that we don't see. You know, we just got to stick with Him, be in the Word, be in prayer, and that's how we grow. So it's pretty neat stuff. I wonder what God has blessed us with that we don't use or we don't try to use. I don't know. In Matthew 17, Jesus also, right, He has a public discussion about the condition of the society, but He also has a private discussion with the disciples telling them they had little faith. And actually, in Mark 9, we see that he has a private discussion with the dad and says before he does this miracle, he says, do you believe? And the dad, and I've quoted this a lot because it's just such a, it's sort of ironic or a paradox. He says to Jesus literally, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. In the same breath. And, and people say, is that hypocrisy? Is that dualism? Is that a contradiction? It's really not. Because we are made of flesh, our bodies, but we are also made of spirit. And at times, spiritually, we desire to do something, but our flesh can hold us back. So on any given moment, on any given day, we make decisions. Do we do this thing that the flesh wants, or we do what the spirit wants? So I love the dad because he's just so honest with Jesus. And Jesus has this little kind of heart-to-heart with the guy. Um, But we do, even as believers, for X amount of years, we can have these conflicts within us. Am I going to follow the Spirit today or in this decision, or am I going to follow the flesh? In verse 42, it says the the demon threw... I don't know how old the the guy's son was. Um, Somebody could be your child, and they could be 50, depending on how old you are. But um, this child, this person, uh, the son of the dad, the demon throws him down. And as a matter of fact, in Greek, that can be translated sort of, a, sort of like a wrestling term. The last hurrah for this demonic entity before it had to leave because Jesus cast it out was to throw him down to the ground. And listen, we have a culture that's very... Um, and they just think it's another religion. They're very friendly in the United States. They're very open about relationships with satan i'm going to worship lucifer and there's been statues erected or groups erected these people don't realize they're playing with fire they're opening a portal they're opening a door and when you when you look out at our country and it's the fracturing a lot of it has demonic roots you know we we in the united states for so many years you know we're a melting pot we we're all different but we're one as as a united people we're starting to see that start to come apart you know, it's the satanic world that wants the division. The Lord wants unity, right? So let me just, before we move on to the next few verses, what is faith? What is faith? Well, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says it's the substance. Hmm, that sounds tangible. 
It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the, I like this word, evidence of things not seen. Now, we can exercise faith both in the physical and the temporal realm and also the spiritual realm. Let me give you an example. Tomorrow morning, my staff and I were going to meet. We come in in the morning, and one of the first things we do is we flick the switches, right? You can't read. It would be weird hanging out in the dark. So, you know, we turn the lights on. By faith, we expect, I love playing with electricity, um, is that when you flick the switch, you close the circuit, and you bring energy into the lamp or the uh, fluorescent or the, the LED or whatever it is, incandescent, and it turns on. It lights. And for almost, I don't know, more than a decade, we've been coming in here. When there's nobody here, we flick the lights on and they go on. So by faith, we honestly, if I went to flick the switch and nothing happened, I'd be a little startled because I'm so used to hundreds of times doing it in faith that the circuit closes and there's light, right? Now, by the same token, we also exercise faith in a spiritual sense. So we believe in what Jesus did on the cross, and it's okay to research it. I did a lot of research before I chose to follow Christ. did a lot of science and investigations, and I just came to the realization that it's real, right? Especially history. It's, you can find that very easily, paleography, uh, archaeology, it's all there. But you put your faith in Christ. Now, when I put my faith in Christ some almost 30 years ago, I didn't necessarily see anything, hear anything, or, or really feel anything. But my life started to change. I saw the evidence, as it says, right? There was evidence in my life. There was substance to this faith. So in a spiritual sense, we put our faith in Christ, and we know, honestly, we're not going to see the full fruit of it until our body dies and we go to be with Him. And all the things we prayed about and learned about and read about, it's all going to come to fruition. It's going to be tangible. So um, one of my favorite scriptures, too, is Ephesians, and I quote it a lot, 2, 8, and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is that vehicle to the grace of God. It's an interesting thing. It's, it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not even a work. So to explain faith, I can tell you what the scripture says. I can tell you what experience says. But it is sort of one of those things that connects the, the physical realm to the spiritual realm. It's a vehicle. And that's probably a lame, um, my lame explanation of it. But, um, you know, we're trying to use worldly terms to explain things that uh, we can't necessarily see. You know, back then it was a depressing time. And not many had faith. And Jesus, it was a subtle rebuke, but it was also an encouragement to know that we, you can have faith, right? And they didn't, you know, today is the same thing. A, a lot of times today in American culture, and, and people say, you know, if you've really been a Christian for a while and you know what's going on overseas, especially with missionaries and some of these uh, places that don't allow Christianity, people are still getting saved. And you're like, wow, there's miracles happening here. You know, I think sometimes in American culture, we're so reliant on ourselves, right? I saw another periodical. It was this one, one is self, right? The book self, us, me, my. And then there was another thing on self. Um, I don't know, when they patented it, they must use it for a lot of different applications. 
right? It's, it's all about me. It's all about self. I rely on myself. We rely on technology, right, for everything. The technology, we can't exist within, without technology. It's like the gateway to everything else. We rely on even sometimes being overeducated, amassing these degrees, you know, continuing, continuing. Um, and then we wonder why we may not see a whole lot of, you know, maybe miraculous or supernatural works in our culture. But are we different as believers? You know, I mean, do we share with people that there is something outside of this temporal world, that God is working, that He does do miracles? And they may not be a lot of pizzazz. They may be subtle. They may be things that and I can look back at my life in hindsight and say, yeah, I definitely did see miracles. Verse 43, continuing on. But they were all amazed at the majesty of God. You know, in my Bible, it's a study Bible, and it has, um, it has verses kind of grouped, and there's little headers above those grouped verses. But, and then you, you can almost tend to say, okay, this is another thought. This is something else happening. But these things happen in succession, and I'm going to tie them together. So they were all amazed at the majesty of God. They see the work that Jesus does. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, sort of an aside, a soliloquy, you know, everyone's rejoicing, they're amazed. Like, did you see that? Could you imagine the crowds? Now they're starting to become very vocal. And Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Sometimes the disciples did that. You know, he's the son of God, and they didn't, maybe they didn't want to look dumb and ask a question, but in other times in the scripture, Jesus just read their minds, and then he would vocalize what, what they were saying inside. So two out of three is another prophecy of the resurrection. Now, how can these mutually exclusive concepts exist at the same time? So in other words, okay, so if you're uh, an observant Jewish person, you're reading the scripture, you know in the first century because there's what's called time-sensitive Old Testament prophecies that pretty much tell you when the Messiah would come, at what time, right, at what period. So that, and then they, they know about Isaiah and the miracles that would happen, Isaiah 61. So if you know your Bible back then and you see what Jesus is doing, you know Something is happening here. And if this isn't the Messiah bringing in His kingdom, we don't know what is. So there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of fanfare. And then Jesus kind of butts up these highs and lows next to each other. So He says to His disciples, yeah, I'm going to be crucified, right? And I, I wonder sometimes, you know, in our minds when we hear something that's traumatic, um, he did speak about the resurrection, but sometimes you focus on crucified, right? And wow, how can this Messiah, who's going to usher in God's kingdom, and they didn't understand it was split up into two comings, how could this be and how could he be crucified? It doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't seem to make sense. In verse 44, he says, let these words sink down into your ears. It also said it was hidden from them. And this is what I believe. Because it doesn't say how. I believe that it just was something that they couldn't understand at the time. You know, and again, listen, here, we're in a church. Everybody's quiet. I'm talking. We're reading. 
black and white words on a page, but could you imagine being there? So that had to be more impressive. You were his closest confidants. I mean, every day was a, some type of miracle was happening, and he says, I'm going to be crucified. If you study Roman history and you know the horrors of crucifixion, I mean, horrors of crucifixion, you know, you're trying to, uh, in your mind, trying to deal with both of these things at the same time. And if it was me back then, I would have a lot of questions too that maybe I wouldn't want to answer. I'd be like, How's, how does this actually happen? So you see that um, over time, after the resurrection, of course, he rises from the dead. Oh, now it makes sense, right? So I would just say this, and, and I, you know, I, well, I wonder if anyone ever wrote a book with the title, When God Doesn't, mark my words, When God Doesn't Seem to Make Sense. And people have written books about walking with the Lord and you know, things happen in their lives and, and they're, they're, they're like stunned by it. What's going on? You know, I've been praying about this. How come this didn't happen? You know, a lot of times in prayer we're to actually seek Him but seek His will. And if His will is not aligned with our, our will, for me personally, I just say to the Lord, help me to make it more digestible. You know, so here this is what I think should happen. I'm praying about this. It's not happening. Lord, do you have another plan? And if you're really close to the Lord, you would say to the Lord, right? Not, Lord, you have to do what I ask you. He's not a genie in the bottle. You would ask him, okay, how can I be in line more with your will? And how does this, how does this play out day by day? Amen? Because he's God. And I'll just tell you this. I've said this many times. Looking back at almost 30 years of uh, being a believer in Christ, um, you know, I am thankful for probably a lot of prayers that didn't get answered. I prayed for things that I look back and I say, wow, I was really immature back then. Well, I didn't really see the big picture. So I was praying for things earnestly and it didn't happen. So I look back now and I go, hindsight is twenty twenty. Now I know why God didn't answer those prayers. Thank God he's God and he doesn't listen to me. I need to listen to him. Now don't get me wrong. God answers prayers all the time. But there's going to be some prayers that aren't necessarily in his will. So, you know, remember that we covered this last Sunday, the transfiguration. Peter's running back and forth, you know, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Let me make three tabernacles. And God, the Father, says to him, hear my son. It's like, Peter, be quiet. Stop. Right? Remember Mary and Martha. Mary was at the Lord's feet. Martha's running back and forth, making preparations. I get that, you know what I'm saying? Um, and Jesus, Martha's upset that Mary's not helping her. And Jesus said she's chosen the better path. Like, M Martha, pump the brakes, you know. Come, I'm trying to teach you something. So, you know, it, it's a learning curve, um, this walk with the Lord. It's, it's definitely a learning curve, and it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing journey. Verse 46, last few verses for this morning. Then a dispute arose among them, among the disciples, as to which of them would be greatest. Seems odd, right? Um, I probably would have gone into a corner and said, oh man, my brain hurts. There's just so much information that I have to kind of sort out. Lord, help me out with this. Uh, and Jesus perceived the thought of their heart, so he took a little child and set him set him, the child, by him, by Christ, and said to them, the disciples, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. 
for he who is least among you all will be great. So the disciples had this discussion and maybe, I don't know, James and John said, hey, we're going to be his generals. And, you know, Peter's like, well, I'm going to be, you know, his assistant. And I don't know what they were saying. But Jesus kind of has to get them back to reality in how God's economy works versus how it works in the world. Um, it was Napoleon who said, yeah, he, I don't believe he ever came to Christ, I don't know, but he, you know, tried to get men to be under him and to fight wars with him, and he, he marveled in his writings that, you know, the leaders of the world use, you know, f- uh, f- power and, and bullying tactics and things to get people to follow them, right? These generals and such, and going into war, he said, but Jesus was able to command millions of people to do his will with love. And no earthly leader could understand this, right? That God the Son could do this. So here he is trying to explain to them what true greatness is. Then John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. And Jesus said to him, do not forbid him for he who is not against us is for us. So three out of three is continuing the legacy of godly leadership. Remember, Jesus is getting closer to Jerusalem. He's getting closer to the crucifixion. Yes, he is, he is resurrected in three days, but 40 days later, he ascends into heaven. He has to have his followers. And there were men followers and women followers, and there were more than the 12. He had to get them to really understand how to do it right. And we know when we read the Bible, when we see organizations that are you know, supposedly Christian organizations and they, they use fear and intimidation and power tactics. And people will say to me, you know, religion is the cause. I'm like, well, you know, I would agree with you in some respects. If they're not following Christ, they are the cause of a lot of problems because religions, many religions have taken worldly tactics to keep their people in line when that was not Jesus's way. You can't call it Christian. Okay. If that's what people are doing. So a little, a little child, right? He takes this little innocent child. In God's eyes, that's greatness. Why? Well, innocence, humility, and purity. The world sees greatness. A conquering general, ticker tape parades, CEO over a billion dollar corporation. But to God, it's childlikeness. Childlikeness. That says a lot. And isn't it hard for us when, I mean, we, we're in 2022, right? Food prices are up, uh, crime is up, you know, scams are everywhere. You open your email, you don't know if it's really from, you know, your utility company or not. We're on edge. And to actually become like a child, to become that innocence, it's not an easy thing to do. However, I will tell you this, that you should be somewhat on guard with your life, um, that you don't get, you know, taken advantage of, but when it comes to the things of God, we need to come to Him as children. You know, to have an edge or to have this way about us or to, you know, we, we need to come to God as children. And this is the thing that He was trying to explain to His disciples. So it's a, a really powerful picture. Now, I would say there's a difference between childlikeness versus childishness. <laughs> and if you look in the dictionary, you'll see the difference. Uh, he didn't ask us to be, you know, bratty in our ways and self-centered and whiny he asked us to be innocent and to have a purity about ourselves as much as possible 
when it comes to the things of God. I'm going to read to you a little bit more in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew uh, takes a different nuance and he, um, he says, well, I think that I should listen. John 21 tells us that if everything that Jesus did was written in books, that libraries of the world couldn't contain it. I mean, the disciples had to be selective about what they wrote. But in Matthew 18, he's struck by what Jesus is saying, and he, he gives more of, of Jesus' speech. And it says, at that time, Matthew 18, verse 1, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, Could you hear a pin drop when the disciples are talking about how great they are and Jesus takes like a seven-year-old and brings them? I I could imagine Jesus a lot of times not using words. A lot of his illustrations would say everything, right? So he puts the little child in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's an aspect of childlikeness that we need to have. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So what does that say about religious leaders who become so untouchable, so wealthy, so they can't be down to see the masses and shake hands and stuff like that. Um, They're just untouchable. What does that say about them? It says that they're not following what Jesus says. It wasn't meant to become an earthly kingdom. Okay? Um, Everything about the Lord's kingdom is different than really what we experience here. So, I'm just going to divert a little bit into a doctrine that we understand in Calvary chapels. It's called the Age of Accountability Doctrine. And what that means is, because we get the question a lot, and it happens a lot, right? And people will, this is a sensitive subject. They lose a child, and they come to you. And listen, if the person is uh, in their 20s or a late teen or whatever, and they know the Lord, they're going to write to be with the he- into heaven. We're not rewriting anything here. Right? They've trusted in Christ. But what about a five-year-old, a two-year-old, an infant? What happens when they pass away? And you know what's really sad? Religion makes up these ridiculous doctrines that frighten people. Well, if you didn't baptize your little baby and then they pass away, they go to purgatory. Really? God would send my kid, my infant, into flames because I was a dumb parent and didn't do something. First of all, you don't have to do that, okay? But even it escapes logic. When children or babies perish, they go right to be with the Lord, right? We covered some of this when we talked about Revelation. Regardless of if the baby was baptized, whether the parents performed, uh, you know, a baby dedication or any other rite on the child. 2 Samuel 12, King David loses his infant child. And he says something in 2 Samuel 12, about the baby. He realizes God's not going to bring the child back, right? It's, it's a tragic situation. And he's, he utters something and he said, he will not come to me, meaning he's not coming back, but I shall go to him. And what David was saying as a man of faith is when I die, I'm going to see my child again, right? So you see this all over the scripture. I'm going to take it another step and you more than happy for you to ask questions later or after service. What is that age of accountability? You have us in suspense. My answer is 
I don't know. <laughs> How's that for an answer? And here's the, here's the rub with all this, because um, there are some that I believe, well, I don't believe, I know this. Now, you can ask anyone in the medical community. Somebody could be 50 years old, have Down syndrome, and not know not fully understand the concept of eternity and choosing Christ or, you know, heaven and hell or any of that stuff. Sin, uh, expiation for sin, any of that stuff. So there are people who are, could be 50s, 60s, that maybe there's a brain injury. Maybe there's uh, an autistic situation where they, severe autism, where they don't have that ability. And I believe they go to heaven when they pass. Now, for me, I know too much. <laughs> that I can't say, oh, I don't need Jesus. It's not going to work for me. And I wouldn't want it to work for me because, like Peter said to Jesus, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. So it's a, you know, I always say this, is that when you read the Bible and you understand doctrine, it should make sense. This idea of babies going to purgatory, or that's really messed up. Um, and I'm going to say that's, that's sick, actually, because babies are innocent. So Jesus uses an illustration, right? For all of us adults that we're thinking people and we can reason, you want to be with the Lord? You want to go to heaven? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Okay? So, let's continue on. Verse 48. Jesus said, the least among you will be the greatest. Now again, the world sometimes see, sees the humble, right? The humble person. You know, everybody's in the rat race in American culture. And the humble person is like, maybe they're a believer, and they're like, you know what, I'm content with what I have. I don't have a lot. I have a place to lay my head. I have food to eat. You know, I'm getting uh, some sort of income from the job that I work at. The world looks at that person as a simpleton, um, a loser. You just pick the names. I look at that as someone who has contentment. <laughs> and some who have billions don't have contentment. So who, who's the winner? You know what I'm saying? Um, again, all Jesus' doctrines make sense. All the things he put out there. Um, so I'll just leave you with this before we move on to the next few verses. We have to lead by example as Jesus did. There's a, there's a meme out there, and it's a, it's a bunch of people uh, you know, pulling a, a cart with stuff in it, you know, with uh, equipment. And there's, the meme is boss versus leader. So in the meme, there's a bunch of guys pulling together and they're pulling this heavy cart with equipment. Boss, he's in the cart too with a whip saying, go, go. Leader, you see, the, uh, how many of you have seen this meme? The meme changes to leader. That same person who's the one in authority, he's not in the cart with a whip. He's actually at the front holding a rope, having the guys follow him and pulling that cart. See the difference? It's subtle, but it's powerful. The difference between a boss and a leader. A leader leads by example. That's a true leader. And listen, we've all had bosses that tell you to do something and they would never do that. I don't tell anybody to do anything that I haven't done. And that includes cleaning stuff that's kind of gross. But <laughs> um, who cares? Wash your hands afterwards. It's not a big deal. Uh, so Jesus is trying to teach us 
if we ever get into that position, certainly spiritually, you need to be a true godly leader. Don't lord it over people. Don't abuse them. Don't threaten them. Lead by example. That's what Jesus did. In the world, I learned in my secular job, those were very good principles to follow. As a training officer, training young recruits who came out of the academy, um, you know, I felt that I needed to protect them while they learned. And then I needed to do things and show them how to do it. But I would also do it first. So you can take that application to your secular job and some people look at you like, wow. And they'll see something special about you. Because in the rat race, everybody wants to get to the top no matter who they claw over and step on. Amen? You've all seen it. Okay? 49 through 50, last two verses. <laughs> so Jesus is telling, or John's telling Jesus, the disciple, right? John telling Jesus that, hey, we saw somebody casting out demons. That's pretty impressive. Jesus, they did it in your name, and we told them to stop because they, they're not one of us. The cool kids, you know what I'm saying? The cool click. I could just, I could just Jesus sometimes going, this is going to take a while, you know what I'm saying? You just taught them what it means, right? And now they're saying, well, because they're not with the A-team, we told them to stop. And Jesus rebuked him. Don't do that. There are no cool kids. And you know what? In, in churches, you see these cliques. You see people do that. Well, we don't need your help. You know, we got it under control. <laughs> you can't do it the way we do it. Trust me, if you want to help out around here, you come right, aboard, right on aboard. You could be elbows, shoulders with the rest of us. We certainly could use the help. Um, we don't do that. You know what I'm saying? All you need is a willing heart. Uh, so here's a conjecture, okay? And I'm going to close after this. Here's the conjecture. I could be wrong, and I always say it's Pastor Joe's conjecture. I don't know that I'm right. We just started at the beginning of this morning's sermon with, with the disciples <laughs> being told on by a man who couldn't cast out a demon. I don't know how long they tried, but Jesus was probably up in the mountain with the three, and he comes down, the man tells him, you got to help me, please. And your disciples couldn't do it. And then here... The disciples, right? They had run into somebody or a group of people who were actually casting out demons in Jesus' name and they get rebuked. You think there was a little jealousy there? <laughs> to me, jealousy is one of the ugliest things that self-professed Christians can wear. Pride is ugly, but jealousy is hideous. And I've seen people do it and it's disgusting. So, I don't know that that was the case, but... Either way, they were wrong because Jesus says it. And um, it also goes to show you, Jesus taught how to remove, how to cast out a demon. And these people, maybe they were some in the crowd and said, hey, we're not one of the 12, but this Jesus is awesome. Hey, let's try to put some of these things into practice. There's the idea, right? 2,000 years later, how many billions of followers of Christ have there been that weren't part of the 12? And this is what I try to say to people who feel like it's a, it's a club. It's a select club. It's a, there is no A-team. Okay? As the crucifixion gets closer, well, we see de another demon cast out. We see another prophecy of the crucifixion. But we also see 
a legacy of true greatness and leadership reinforced. And I'll just reiterate what I said in the beginning, getting closer. In a timeline, in the order of events, Jesus is getting much closer to doing a lot of his work in Jerusalem, really angering the power structure, the religious power structure, which is the catalyst that starts the chain of events that causes him to get crucified. But for those that hated him and thought they got rid of him, he just used that to fulfill prophecy to shed his blood for die, to die for our sin, sins. So, you know, people say, wow, I didn't realize Christianity was so deep. It's extremely deep. So the closer he gets to Jerusalem, by extension, he gets the human race closer to God because he provides the way for that salvation. So I would just ask you, if you're here this morning, really consider the words of Christ. You know, you might have liked this church for different reasons today, but the biggest reason should be that God is calling you. And if you haven't given your life to Christ, give your life to Christ. Get closer to Him. That's what He wants. He loves you. He did all this because He loves you. Amen. Every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10:30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.